Two weeks ago, I left off with Jesus sitting on this hillside, weeping over Jerusalem and uh, saying, if thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. And that's kind of where we ended it last week. And, you know, I don't know if sitting on that hillside, Jesus has recognized what has happened. He knew it would happen, but recognized that it has now happened, that blindness, as Paul said, in part has happened to Israel. Uh, not, not individual Jews, but blindness as a nation has happened, Paul said. And the time will come when that blindness will be lifted. I don't want to get into that or I'll really get sidetracked. But, uh, so I don't know if it's that or if this is the actual pronouncement that brought in the blindness. So I, I, I don't know. I know that when he left the uh, temple in a, in a few days, uh, he's going to say, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that's going to be a judicial declaration of God's abandonment of Israel until such time as they invite him back. And again, I don't want to get sidetracked with that. So Luke goes on and writes, For the day shall come, this is Jesus talking about prophecy, the days will come. Uh, when, when thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even to the ground and thy children within thee and thou shalt not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now Jesus knew that the temple was going to be torn down a week before he actually did the Olivet Discourse that we read in Matthew. Is that it's more legible for you than it is me? So that's kind of where Gabriel told Daniel to tell the survivors at Babylon a, a specific number of days uh, before the Messiah would return. And the fact that they didn't know their prophecy put them in a position where they didn't recognize their Messiah. And he wasn't what they expected. Even though everything he did was a direct fulfillment of over 350 prophecies, they didn't recognize him because their expectations, what they expected the Messiah to be, he didn't measure up to what they thought would happen. So in direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, Jesus takes an unbroken colt and rides it into Jerusalem. That was the sign that he was declaring himself to be the Messiah. A clear public presentation that he is the Messiah, the King of Israel, and the Pharisees rebuked him for it rather than accepted him. They'd already decided to kill him. He went directly, this is where we pick up, he went directly into the temple. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now when John wrote about a similar event, people would criticize and say that John got the, the, the chronology incorrect. But the truth is, Jesus did this twice. He did it once at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it at the end of his ministry. In the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said these words, You have made my house a house of merchandise. Now, that's a lot milder than a den of thieves. A den of, the word den of thieves is a group banded together for plunder, a group without principle and without shame. So this, this is a much stronger word that he used, and he's... He, you know, they've been rebuking him all along. He's going to spend the next four days rebuking them. This is on a Sunday now. And then we're going to go through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wednesday uh, is Thursday. Anyway, those, those next four days are when the events that we'll be covering in the weeks to come happen. Where am I here? I'm in verse 47. And he taught daily in the temple. So for the next four days, he's going to te be teaching in the temple. But the chief priests and scribes and chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very 
attended of him. Now they'd already decided. Now I've highlighted uh, books of the Bible that aren't in Luke, and that's the reason the yellow's there. And uh, that's just to warn you and to remind me that we're no longer in Luke. We've jumped out to a parallel passages. And it said, Matthew chapter 12, 14. You know when this is? This is a year and a half before the events we're talking about today. This is that point in time just before Matthew 13 where Jesus started to speak only in parables. And he, he, he did that because he recognized that his enemies would use his speech against him. So he began to speak in parables to hide the truth from them. But he did that because of this is what happened in Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. So for a year and a half now, the Pharisees have decided they're going to kill Jesus. This is not, you you can't just say, I don't believe in Jesus and walk away and, and be lost forever. You have to do it over and over and over again. Now, they've had a year and a half to make their decision, and they've decided they don't want this Jesus to rule over them. So I, I bring this up to show you, you may have rejected Jesus in your past. You may have done something in your past that you're ashamed of, because we all have. But the fact is, as long as the door is open to you, you can still come to Christ. You can still find repentance. It's not a, a one-and-done thing. Uh, you, you can get to a point where you confess your sins to him, and he will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you through his own blood. He'll come into your life, and he'll change your life completely. Okay, now I'm in John. John, <clears throat> this passage of John is a year and a half after the passage in Matthew. This is right immediately after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> and this is the Pharisees in a meeting. Now, how do they know this stuff? How did, how did the disciples find this out? The answer is many Pharisees were saved and probably told them what, what went on behind doors uh, in these meetings. So John is reporting now one of the last Gospels written. John is reporting what he's learned about what happened in the lives of these Pharisees. And this is a Pharisee talking. If we let him thus alone, this is right after Lazarus raised from the dead. Everybody's talking about that. He'd been dead three days. They could actually smell the decomposition on his body. They knew he was dead. Now, you could argue with that Jairus' daughter that it's only been a few hours that she was dead. But when you get to Lazarus, he's dead. I mean, he was dead, dead. You know, and uh, when Jesus, Jesus didn't have to do a dance. He didn't have to do anything special in front of the tomb. All he said was, Lazarus, come forth. And you get an idea who we're dealing with when you're dealing with Jesus. You're dealing with the creator God of the universe. And all he has to do is speak. The Pharisees recognized they were in trouble. They would either kowtow to Jesus or they would kill him. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said, you know nothing at all. Oops, skipped one. Pressed too hard to sing jumps, huh? Yeah, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the Peter. This is Caiaphas, the high priest, actually prophesying. Not, not consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Now this is John's interpretation. And this he spake he, not himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. And John is going to continue here. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. I'm way ahead of my notes here. Give me a minute here. Get catch up here. 
Now, Matthew tells us in the same scenario, same week, we're in this last week of Jesus' life now. We're going to be in the last week of Jesus' life. Half of the book of John is about the last week, but the last four chapters here, it's all about the last week. So we're in Matthew now, telling the same story. This is just before they killed Jesus. So we're in that last week now. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill Him. Subtlety means they didn't want anyone to know. They were just going to drag Him out of the alley and kill Him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar amongst the people. Now, God had other plans. They would, in fact, get to murder His Son, Jesus. But they wouldn't be able to hide it. And it would be on the feast day. So God had planned from before the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to die on the day of preparation. And the day of preparation at sundown becomes Passover. So while the Jews were in the process on that day of murdering, well, of killing thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep in their own homes as the law stipulated, Jesus was also offered on Mount Calvary for us. So the the Passover lamb was sacrificed on the same day that Jesus was crucified. And of course, the Passover was celebrated that evening when Jesus was laid in the tomb. So they didn't get their way. Uh, this, uh, This lamb, this animal that Adam and Eve watched the Lord slay in front of them and make them coats of skins in Genesis chapter 3 represents our Lord who died in our place just as when Abraham was called to offer his son Isaac they rode for three days and they went to a mountaintop and the mountaintop they went to was the mountaintop that Jesus was crucified on the exact same geographic location and in offering his son Isaac of course God substituted a ram And every ram and every lamb since Adam and Eve that had been offered as a sacrifice for our sins has always been looking forward to that time when Jesus would come and take our sins upon Himself. It isn't that the lamb could forgive us our sins. It's that God would look on our repentance and our willingness to sacrifice something we love and our willingness to offer that and confess our sins that God forgave them their sins. So they they were saved. They didn't use the word saved. Uh, They would use the word redeemed. But they were saved in our vernacular because they believed that God would forgive their sins through the blood of the Lamb, which is exactly what I believe, that God will forgive my sins through the blood of the Lamb. And when Jesus came to be baptized, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And from then on, there was no more need to sacrifice lambs. We have our once-for-all sacrifice. So Jesus spent His last days, His last week teaching at the temple. And it came to pass, we're back in Luke, you notice it's no longer high yellow. And it came to pass that on one of those days as He taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon Him with the elders and spake unto Him, saying, Tell us, by what authority dost thou do these things? What right have you got to go around giving blind people sight, raising the dead, and healing people? What, by what authority do you do this? Uh, go back and read the Old Testament, boys. 
and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority dost thou these things? Or, or who is he that gave thee this authority? You know, I don't know. It's a good thing I wasn't the Messiah, because what I would say to them wouldn't be pretty. And he answered and said to them, Well, I'll, I'll answer that if you'll just tell me one thing. The baptism of John, now we're talking about John the Baptist, uh, he's dead now in this timeline. Was it from heaven or men? And they reasoned in themselves, if we say from heaven, then he will say, well then, why didn't you believe him? You know. But if we say that the baptism of John is of men, it's just a human thing, the people will stone us where they all were persuaded that John was a prophet. Politics, you gotta love it, you know. Politics will get you in that trouble. They, 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 it isn't what they believed. It's what they were afraid would happen. Jesus said, I'll be honest with you if you'll be honest with me. But power politics will get you stuck. You'll get stuck in a place where you can't get out of. This is a point. After a while, you get to a point where you simply cannot tell the truth. We end up so twisted up in lies that we find it impossible to accept the truth that's right in front of our eyes. So while we wheel and deal ourselves into a pit, find ourselves hopeless and helpless, a quagmire of lies, of manipulation and deceits. All it would have taken, they were stuck there. We all get stuck there. We, we try to build our lives and we try to manipulate and, and wiggle around and protect our positions and maintain our jobs and, and do all that we need, that we think we need to accomplish. But we're doing it in our own strength and we end up in a mess. We end up in a pit. Now all it would have taken at this point would be one or two honest Pharisees to stand up and say, boys, you've been reading these prophecies your whole lives. You've even got it memorized. Go back and read some of this stuff again. Go back and, and, and listen to what it says. Go back and study. And maybe, maybe it would have changed things, but God knew that it wouldn't. And I'm actually glad they didn't accept Jesus. I mean, from their standpoint, if you think about it, what, what could have happened... Uh, Wow, the millennium could have started then. Heaven would have begun. Uh, a thousand years have passed, we'd be in eternity future, and I'd have never been born and would never had this privilege of teaching or of standing with Jesus one day in heaven. So the very fact that, that they rejected Christ was a blessing for us. And the time's going to come when God takes us out of the way and He's going to deal once again with them. Praise God. Well, they were holding on to their lives, right? If we, if, we, if, we, if we don't hold on tight, if we don't get rid of this Jesus, we're going to lose our job. But Jesus said, whosoever will save his life will lose it. The more you hold on to your life, the more you say, it's me, 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 the more you're going to lose your life. But Jesus said, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. If they would have let go of what they, 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 they were holding on to so tightly, and if they would have said, you know, I believe you're the Messiah, and a lot of them did, don't get me wrong, a lot of Pharisees did get saved. Uh, but, but if they'd have done that, they would have found a whole different life, a whole new lifestyle, a whole new life, and they would have found purpose and meaning. Anyway, they were afraid to do that. And they answered and they said, oh, we can't tell you where it was because anything we say... We're going, to, we're going to betray the fact that we're liars and cheats. And Jesus said, and neither did I tell you what authority I do these things. But he does, he does explain it. Then began he to speak unto them, the people, this parable. 
<clears throat> excuse me, a certain man, that's Jesus. I, I highlighted that just to remind me that I wanted to tell you who it was. Planted a vineyard. I should have made that yellow. That's Israel. That's the church. Which, Well, I, let me say that's Israel, which became known as the kingdom, which is now called the church. All right. All the same group of saved people. Planted a vineyard and led it forth to the husbandmen. That's those of us that labor in his kingdom. And in this specific case, that's the Jews. So a certain man, Jesus, planted a vineyard, Israel, and led it forth to these Jewish, particularly these Jewish religious leaders, and went into a far country for a long time. Now, Matthew and Mark didn't have that. But by the time Luke sat down to write this, it had been a pretty long time and they were starting to wonder how long it's going to be before Jesus comes back. And they went back and started thinking about what he said. And some of them said, didn't he say he was going into a far country for a long time? And they began to realize it's going to be a long time before Jesus comes back. It's been a long time. And at that season, he sent a servant, at the season, the season of the harvest, he sent his servant to the husbandmen that they should give of him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. Now once again, back on this theme of the previous parable, the parable of the talents. No, the minus, I think it was. Yeah, the parable of the minus. Uh, notice that Jesus expects a return on his investment. We don't get saved for naught. He's saving us for a purpose. There's work for us to do in his kingdom now. And he expects a return on his investment. And you, you can't read any one of these parables without asking yourself, what is Jesus asking me to do? What is his plan for my life? If, if you go through your whole life just doing what you want to do, you, you, haven't, you haven't done what Jesus wants you to do. You need to ask yourself that question because you don't want to enter heaven with empty hands. Let, I should probably say that another way. Any way you get into heaven is good, all right? But it'd be better to have something in your hands. It'd be better to have something that, that you've done that he can say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But like David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than I would tarry with the people of the world for a season. So, you know, it, it, at any time in life where you said, my brother-in-law was just saved three weeks ago, well, one month before he died. And well, it was more than three weeks ago, wasn't it? I'm not doing the math right, am I? He was saved six weeks ago. Let's try that. and Because uh, he was buried two weeks ago. I think I got that right. Uh, anyway, he, he's not going to have much to show the Lord. Not much to say well done. But he's going to be glad that he's there. Thief on the cross was pretty glad he was there. And I bet his mom and dad were pretty surprised to see him there too. I really do. You know. But nonetheless, he expects a return. He expects us to be responsible with what he's given us. So he sent another guy, another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. So he, Jesus is telling this story to the people. He turned from his discussion with the Pharisees, who I'm assuming were behind him, to the people in the temple, and he's talking to them, and he's telling them this parable about this, this guy that plants a vineyard and does all this stuff and goes off into a far country. And uh, so he's talking to the people, but the Pharisees are still listening. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because I'm not sure who makes the statement at the end of this. So you'll see the statement in a minute. And again, he sent another servant. And they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a, sent a third. Now, you know, by now we would have thought about sending a squad of Marines, but uh, nonetheless. And again, he sent a third. 
And they wounded him also and cast him out. Now, Elijah had to run for his life. Jeremiah was in prison in a cistern because they couldn't stand his preaching. Isaiah was so well received by Israel that they hung him upside down and sawed him in half. Now, the tradition has it that they sawed him in half with a wooden saw. I don't know. Never heard of a wooden saw. Never heard of sawing anybody in half. Never, never heard of any of that. So I don't know if any of that's true, but that's what Fox's Book of Martyrs says. So hung him upside down, sawed him in half with a wooden saw. You know. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what will I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be. And that, that may be is a verb that describes an assumption of yes. Surely, you see, certainly they will reverence him when they see him. I'll send my son. But when the husbandmen saw him, the husbandmen, now they're farmers, and if you put this in our vernacular, but when the farmers or the sharecroppers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Let's kill the heir and the inheritance may be ours. I don't know how deluded uh, you, you can be and think that you're going to kill the Son of God and somehow get away keeping the earth for yourself. I mean, these guys, had, they, they, they are deceived on a level that it's almost demonic. All right, This inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then Jesus asked the question, which I should have highlighted. I just thought of that. Well, that's the bottom two lines there. What do you think the Lord of the vineyard should do to them? It's hmm? a good question. What should the Lord do? Now, I, do I have Luke next to you? I got Matthew after this. He will come and destroy these husbandmen, these farmers, and she'll give the vineyard to others. And when they, we don't know who they are, they could be the Pharisees standing behind him. That's what uh, A.T. Robinson thought. He thought this was the Pharisees that said, Megunoita. And when they heard it, I, I kind of feel like it's the people. They, they understood that Jesus was talking about them. Jesus was talking about Israel. Jesus was talking about taking the gospel message, the kingdom of God, away from Israel and giving it to someone else. That's us, folks. That's exactly what's happening here. This is, this is not just a parable. This is an explanation of what God is doing uh, and what God did to Israel. He, he took that gospel message away from the Jews and put it on the Gentiles. Now, of course, the, there were a lot of Jews that were saved, and they took that message to us. We can't say Jews can't be saved. A lot of Jews did get saved, and they're the reasons that we have a Bible. It was Jews that wrote our Bible. That's the reason they protected it and shared that gospel. I don't want to take anything away from the Jews. But the nation of Israel heard this message, and they understood. You know, and if we're talking in terms of America, when do we get to a point when God looks at America and he says, I'm done with you, I'm going someplace else. You know, and, and you know, I'm hoping he's going to return. But we've been hoping he's going to return for 2,000 years. If he doesn't return, he, and if we don't measure up to the, the, the charges and the responsibilities he's given us as a nation, he will give this responsibility to another nation. And there are other nations that are more Christian than we are. Anyway, when they heard that, they said, Meganoita. Now, a Jew would never say, God forbid. They just wouldn't say that those words wouldn't come out of their mouth because they don't believe in saying those words. 
That, that would be swearing to them. They use the word M-E, may, which means no, not never. And genoita is a verb of being, may it never come to be. All right? May genoita negates the coming to be. Now, what we would translate that, they would say in an exclamation, no way. <laughs> no way. This can't happen. This, this won't happen. Matthew explains it a little bit, so I'm jumping over to his rendition. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh. This is Jesus talking. And now J- Jesus is explaining it. And Matthew was there taking notes. Luke was getting this information secondhand. All right? Matthew was there. He was sitting in the crowd. And Jesus said to these people, he, he, he wasn't beating around the bush with this message. You can see that. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbands? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto another husbandman, which will render their fruits in his season. What will the Lord do? They spoke their own judgment. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore I say. You want to do an interesting study. Look up every time Jesus said, I say. The great, great little Sunday school series, I say unto you, I say unto you. Look up verily, I say unto you. And also look up verily, verily. Two, three, three different ways to approach. But this is Jesus. I say unto you. This is the same I say unto you that said, let there be light. All right? This is the same voice. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Jesus agrees with their conclusion. And we're back in we're back in Luke. And beheld, and he beheld them. And he said that, and sorry, and said, "What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected. When was that written? A thousand years before this event. Did God give them any warning? I'd say so. The stone which with the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. They knew." A thousand years before Jesus came that he would be rejected. It was written in Genesis 3.3 that his heel would be crushed. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind them to powder. Now Jesus is quoting Psalm 118 and verse 22. We only have two choices in this life. We either fall on our knees before Jesus Christ and, and surrender ourselves to him. We confess our sinful condition. We receive Him as our Savior. And we get get raised back up again with a whole new life. I was one way. And the way I was, I wouldn't have lived as long as I've lived now. But the life I was living before I met Jesus Christ was so totally different from the life I'm living now. I know I would have never made it. I doubt if I would have made 30 years of age. You can't ride a Harley Davidson while stoned out of your mind and live for very long. All right? I mean, I, I didn't play uh, suicide games, but that was as close as you can get to suicide. That was stupid. I did so many stupid things. It's a miracle I'm alive. It's a miracle that he saved me, but he saved me. And I remember that last time I was riding on my Harley Stoned, I was a Christian. I was, I was born again, and I had a guy on the back of my bike, and he was a photographer. Both of us served in Vietnam. And we were riding down the road, and he was saying how glorious this was. This was wonderful. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And he said, Bob, uh, yeah, what side of the road are you on? I'm going, uh, uh, I think I'm on the right side. And, and he said, do you know this guy's life is in your hands? 
And I went home and I flushed that stuff down my toilet and I never touched it again. I realized. But I, I couldn't see it as a lost person. You can't see the stupid things you're doing. You know, I thought I was so much better than my dad who was an alcoholic. I thought I was so much better than him because I was a clean stoner. I wasn't drunk, sloppy drunk, you know. I was no better than him driving around with the kids in the car drunk out of his mind. Can you imagine how stupid that is? And yet we do those kind of things all the time. And thank God, thank God. He, I, I was able to bow my head. I lived long enough to bow my head and say to him, Lord, I, I confess myself as a sinner. And if it's true that, that you really died for my sins, I wish you would forgive me and come into my life and save me. And I can tell you, my life changed completely that day. Now, I will tell you also, he had some work to do. It, it, it's a work in progress. And I'm a lot better than I was. And he's still got some work to do with me. But I thank God that he put me on the right path. I'll either fall before him. You will either fall before on our knees and proclaim Jesus Lord of Lords. Or this kingdom will crush you in the powder. Will be utterly, utterly destroyed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for this remembrance of Operation Christmas Child. Thank you for all the work that Elizabeth has done for us all these many years. Thank you for her love for you, and may she continue. Thank you for the current family and all the work they did with our Vacation Bible School. Lord, pray, pray, we pray that you would give us strength to continue. Thank you for this time together. And my prayer, Lord, is that no one would leave this room without knowing Knowing in their heart, not just words from a preacher, but knowing in their heart that you're alive, that you came to die for their sins, that if you simply call, if they will simply call on you, you will leap to their protection. For the Bible declares, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I think of my brother-in-law now with you in heaven who waited till the last minute to call, perhaps a little bit ashamed, but I know that as he was dying, the two people he saw and called out their names were both believers that were confident are in heaven, his brother Jimmy and his son Bob. And I thank you, Father, for that confirmation that he saw them before he went to be with them. And I pray for everyone in here that they will have made that commitment in their heart before they walk out of this room. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.